0: Sign up for the 6th Annual Dwarf Fortress Gladiator Tournament is open now at the Dwarf Fortress subreddit. Listen for more information in the first break of the show. Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things Dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Roland. I'm Tony. And we're welcoming Nathan back, who was on a couple episodes ago. Greetings, Nathan.
1: Hey, there he is. <laughs> Greetings. Fantastic. Well, I enjoyed your video, so thanks for posting it. I thought that was really good.
2: Oh, yes. Thanks. I'm glad. I actually uh, I uh, am working on another one right now. I just was on my computer doing some Caden Live work and I'm waiting for uh, my introduction.
0: Hmm. Well, awesome. Last time that you were in, Nathan... We didn't mention your YouTube channel because it was not quite off the ground yet, but since then you have gotten your YouTube channel up and going. So you want to talk about that for uh, a bit? Tell everyone about it?
2: Sure. I've got two videos out right now and I'm about to release another one hopefully today. And I guess kind of my first target for subject matter was kind of going into detail about how the... Basics, what's normally considered basic and fundamental in the game, can be elevated to a more advanced level of gameplay and how important it is to take those basic concepts and perfect them because it really is like a foundational part. So Stockpiles was the first video, and then Work Order Management was the second video, both of which are things that you could just tell your your dwarves to put things in a place or you could just tell them to make a chair or you could describe to your dwarves a more advanced more self-sufficient way to run things so that's what i wanted to do
0: that is definitely one thing that i need to improve on because i am still in the situation where i tell dwarves to build things and i tell dwarves to move things although as we, I think we talked about it last time you were on, I have advanced my stockpile management uh, a little bit more, but I, I still have never even used the manager for anything other than oh. someone to occupy an office. Interesting.
2: Yeah. And actually, some of the inspiration that caused me to, to think of that as a video subject is because of how long it took me to get to that point, despite... Having come from RimWorld, where I did all those things, it still took me forever to start doing them again here in Dwarf Fortress. I was like, this is silly. Why? As soon as I made a manager, I was like, why have I not done this before? I've been wasting my time telling dwarfs <laughs> one at a time to build coffers. Have either
0: of you, Tony or Roland, used uh, the manager to, to manage your, your production?
1: Yeah, I always do. I, I really like it. Manager is a super cool time saver and i mean i use it in combination with um the uh, the what do you call it the whatever it is alt w the df hack thing the workflow manager i use them both but um you don't need to pretty good hmm. yeah um i mean i use it too like
3: i i stopped using the normal uh, workshops because the manager is so much easier Mm-hmm. Um, but until uh, a bit ago, I was just using the manager as an overview over all the stockpiles, meaning that I still went in and was like, "I need now ten doors, please," and put that in into the manager in uh, instead of the normal stock, uh, uh, normal workshops. But now I'm trying to get into the whole like ongoing orders. So my current fortress has a lot of dwarves, and I try to keep them fed and, like, drunk with just workshop management. And it seems to be working fairly well right now. Nobody has been starving. I have a lot of drinks, and I haven't touched the manager in, like, two years in-game time now. So I suppose... It's going fairly good. Yeah.
1: There's a lot more I think you could do with it. Gosh, it would be really cool if somebody made a really helpful video to go through <laughs> how... Could that be, If huh? only someone yeah. could do that, well, I, I think, would totally watch it.
0: I think there's this new YouTube channel out there called Paranoid Metroid. No and kidding. I, yes. I think Please. that... Do you know anything about that, Nathan? paranoid Metroid? Does Uh, that sound familiar?
2: Yeah, I've seen it. I've been visiting it uh, fairly frequently right now. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's great. Uh,
2: Actually, I don't want to, I feel like stockpiles have been such a sticking point for Mm. uh, uh, the last episode I was on and even some episodes before that, I heard you guys talking about them. So I don't want to stick us on it too long, but my next video is actually going to be about the difference between the refuse stockpile, the corpses stockpile and the dumping garbage dump and the difference between the three, because I don't know how you guys approached that when you first started playing Dwarf Fortress, but it was a huge point of confusion for me. So we've got the manager video now, and then I'm going to go kind of back to stockpiles for a little bit on my channel to talk about that and help new people understand why their corpses aren't where they want them to be.
0: That's cool. I never had much problem with that because the, the way I learned was through the, the Dwarf Fortress Wiki's uh, Fortress Mode tutorial. And it one of the first things that it does is have you build separate uh, refuse and corpse stockpiles, and it explains pretty well the difference between them. And oh, because, because I never actually made it all the way through that tutorial, still haven't made it all the way through that tutorial, I started it over and over again probably thirty or forty times. <laughs> so that part of it, everything that happened at the beginning of that tutorial got drilled into my head because I was almost brainwashed with it. So but but if anyone else is out there trying to learn dwarf fortress and they've had trouble with other ways, I really recommend the quick start guide on the dwarf fortress wiki because it is really, really good. Indeed.
2: Yeah, the Dwarf Fortress uh, wiki is a, an extremely expansive resource. It's actually something I I uh, touch on in a brief note in this video. It's a real short video because I got a lot of important stuff going on this weekend. But it I touch for a second on how I use the wiki as a a learning resource for my videos, and how honestly, even in my videos, you should go check my work at the wiki because I don't. You know, I don't make the videos by reading the wiki and then translating it into video form. I'm actually just talking about how I do things, but mm-hmm. uh for that reason, the wiki probably has more information than I have to offer. So, it's always worth just going to the wiki. And if they have a tutorial, I haven't used it, but new players could definitely benefit from that, probably more than anyone's single video or or small set of videos.
0: It is very extensive though, and it is perhaps overly detailed. So it just depends on what you want. So uh so I've learned a lot from from uh tutorial videos. In fact, the first time that I tried to play Dwarf Fortress, I was following along and gee whiz, I wish I could remember. We probably covered it in previous episodes. But it was uh it was someone's tutorial video about the first things that you do whenever you start a fortress and it was in vanilla DF mode and it was all of the key sequences and stuff. So um, that's one way to do things. Uh, Another way is the wiki, but the wiki can be overly detailed sometimes.
1: Yeah, I get a bit lost. I love the wiki for, um, you know, looking up things like what's a volcanic stone that won't like, what's not going to, what, if I make my mechanisms out of, this will it kill my dwarves or is yeah. it volcanic magma proof um, that's that kind of stuff i like to look up there i haven't really ever thought of it for tutorials i just blindly followed and did exactly what paradoxus errant told me to do in his really brilliant walk through guide getting started thing and so i don't I don't question the master guys i don't question the master <laughs>
0: it's it's a great it's a great resource for answering the question how do i do x because <laughs> yes. how do i make glass how do I make soap? yeah, the, yeah, the you're wiki totally is, right yeah the wiki is how you do that, really. I mean
2: It's also fantastic for information dense topics where a video would have to ramble on for two hours to cover everything, for example, um advanced world generation. oh gosh yeah oh yes i I would never turn on a video to hear someone describe to me all of the parameters of advanced world generation uh that would be a headache, a two hour long headache and uh, other things like armor as well. I don't want to listen to someone tell me what coverage each type of shirt offers. (laughs) You know, it's way easier to go to the wiki and see the chart because it's an information dense subject.
1: You just put your finger on, on something, which I think is really important, um, which is really good. Is like what I like in a video is where you take a certain concept and you're like, Hey, here's how I do stockpile. And you sort of walk through that, like I don't need to know, like you just said, I like the wikis for that. I don't need to I don't need to know every yeah. option of every permutation because man, those are hard to watch. And I can just read it on the wiki. But like videos that really hit the spot are the ones where it's like, hey, this is how I do this. And and you showed something in like really clear way in like two minutes. I don't need to know all the parameters. Yeah.
2: That was absolutely a concern of mine. In the first video as well about stockpiles, which actually I think comes up as my second video because I transferred it over. But in my video about stockpile logic, it was a concern. It was a bigger concern in my manager's uh, man, work order management video because I could have talked for days about how all of the different purple texts, the inequality texts uh, work. Uh, I could have talked for days about the uh, you know how to apply this to farming and how to apply this to cooking and how to apply this to uh, clothing and all that stuff. But it was, I I re-recorded thrice, three times, I re-recorded that thing because I was like, I don't (laughs) need, people don't need to hear me talk about how to do everything. They just need to see me do something. And then they can go and they can go to the wiki and be like, well, he didn't cover what this specific line means but that's easy enough to look up and then, you know, apply it to my needs.
1: Yeah, you yes. know the other way she's overwhelmed. You know, you, you stop being informational and you start being overwhelming. And I think finding that balance is tough. Yeah, it is.
4: The Arena Masters present the 6th Annual Dwarf Fortress Gladiator Tournament. Registration is open now. The deadline for sign-up is 1500 hours GMT, July 11th. Head to the Dwarf Fortress subreddit for the rules.
5: The sun was slowly setting in the Arena City, shining upon the crowds of people waiting before the gates of the Grand Arena, looking forward to the opening of the gates, be it to register, to witness the new contestants, or merely to entertain themselves through watching the mass of sentient people of all stripes and forms. A shade amongst them moved quickly, trying not to be seen. Again was she at this square, blending in, keeping an eye on this forge where legends rose. Heroes and villains lived their stories, with many of them ending in a brutal death. This blood sport was cruel beyond measure, and still equally enchanting, even to her. But it was not time for these thoughts. Slowly but steadily, the people grew restless, demanding the arena to open quickly. But the ritual had its strict order and it was not going to be disturbed due to impatient spectators. A few minutes passed in a cacophony of cries, laughter, and talks, before finally, a hooded dwarf, wearing the holy symbol of Armach, ascended upon the balcony, overseeing the entrance. They raised their hand, forcing the horde of spectators and gladiators' aspirants to quiet down. Then they spoke their voice seeming to thunder across the entire city, while the sky continued to grow redder.
4: The sixth annual Dwarf Fortress Gladiator Tournament is a friggin' amazing community competition. Don't be a fuzzy wampler. Use the link in the show notes for all the details.
0: So what you can do is have a second layer of videos or a second set of videos later. This called like post-grad war fortress, right? I was
2: thinking (laughs) about like 202 or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Master's course. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Yeah, do it. I'd love it. I didn't
2: cover any um, any quantum stockpiles or anything. I don't really use them. So I'm not qualified to cover them right now anyway. Uh, But those things could be covered in future video. Who knows?
0: You know, you could have it basically say, you know, if you're watching this video, then that means that you want the minutia. Then you then you want to hear the the details that are going to bore the common the common human being. But if you're here, that means that you want to know how long you should actually have the manager screen open to optimize your your processor utilization to make you have two <laughs> yeah, more right. chairs exactly. in in this in this fortress year
2: <laughs> yeah and i might go you know one of my uh one of my videos might be about like how to keep uh clutter down and help frame rates although i that's another thing i don't know if i'm qualified to talk about because i don't often experience frame death but like those videos can, could be quite long and detailed you know, if I choose for them to be and there's things like pathfinding and an upcoming video of mine is going to be, I don't know how far out this is. This might be after all these like advanced basics videos, uh, but about vertical fortress design. And that may go into detail about pathfinding or at least about distance calculation based on vertical Mm. fortress designs versus flat Mm. ones. And that could get really mathy. And I could spend I could spend 15 minutes just talking about the math on that, but I don't want to yet. That'll be Dwarf Fortress 202, <laughs> not 101.
1: Yeah, master course. You could you could time that one with the Steam release, so it gives you a couple of years to work on. Yeah, that. yeah. Sorry, is that too
3: soon?
2: <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> so
3: what you're saying is you already have a roadmap. And uh we will judge you whether you get to that roadmap fast enough or not, okay,
2: yeah, yeah
1: <laughs> he's on valve time right he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> issue full refund to us if uh
2: he'll yeah, refund your time back,
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> awesome. I've never had a problem, and I'm not sure why this is, but I've always been able to see three steps as Z levels being the same as three steps vertically and, in, in, or sorry, horizontally or whatever on a plane uh, in, in my fortresses. I think
2: that the, the biggest issue with vertical fortress design, and this is actually something despite me always doing vertical fortress design is something that I still somehow get caught up on every time I start a new fortress, which is how do I organize my industries and my levels to be close together and to be efficiently placed relative to each other with vertical fortress design. Because when it's horizontal, when it's all flat, it's easy to see like, okay, so I've got my wood stockpile here and my carpenter workshop is to the right of it along with my Boyer workshop and they just use the wood. But then I got a wood burner below it or to the south of it. And then that wood burner feeds a pile to the south of that. And then below that is my smelter and my metalsmith's forge. And, you know, so there's kind of this easy workflow. It's two dimensional. But then you add three dimensions and you're like, well, I want to keep everything within 10 squares of the central staircase because that's kind of how I've done the math to know that going up and down is only as long as going left and right. And so then you're... Wondering, well, okay, I have limited space on each floor before I defeat the whole purpose. So I need to put my wood stockpile on one floor, my wood products and furniture on another floor, and somehow fit in between there the carpenter and Boyer workshops. Then I need to have my wood burner. Is it on the same floor as the wood stockpile, or is it just below? And then where does that go? The charcoal does it go with the wood burner? Uh, above the smelter or is the smelter on the same floor across because then it has to feed back up to the metal craft, uh, the metalsmith's workshop, which is also (laughs) feeding a furniture stockpile for metal furniture or or product stockpile for metal products. Uh, And I want that metal product stockpile to be on the same floor as the wood product stockpile. So I have a single floor (laughs) with all my products I can quickly look at. So there's a lot of considerations. And then you know, it kind of blows up into this thing. So I usually actually spend over half an hour planning my fortress when I start it because vertical fortress design, uh, not just the concept of walking distance, but actually the concept of designing a workflow in a vertical fortress can explode into a daunting task.
3: Wow, okay. Um, You put way more like brain capacity into your forts than I do. (laughs) Yup. I was thinking that too. Yeah. I just dig like my, I have a usual layout that I use almost always. It's fairly okay for me. And I just dig it out slowly over the years. And so like most of my fortresses do end up looking very, very closely to each other. And I'm not like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh my, my wood stockpile has to go. No, it's like, yeah, I need a wood stockpile and I've like, enough space here let's dig it out boys
2: yeah that's and that's perfectly i'm sure that that will work that's the thing with dwarf fortress is i bet you you could do everything in the game without any risk of failure without any experience of fun uh just doing that so really in a sense it's totally unnecessary to go to the depths that i would go to or other people might go to uh, for fortress design but it is also really neat to see your dwarves working in this organized workflow in this like planned space and uh you know having everything kind of naturally culminate into the product product that you want it to be
0: i can see dwarf fortress playing being uh, a class in an industrial engineering uh uh, a course curriculum at some university that would be
1: yeah hey it's (laughs) aspirational for me like when i look at those videos i'm like man I'm going to be able to do this. This is going to be awesome. What a great idea. Like for me, it just gets me excited when I see this kind of stuff because I do things like I'll have an idea and I'll go chase the idea down, but I figure I'm going to die or get bored before I get the idea done anyway. So I kind of just go through the motions sometimes in, you know, tossing up a fort just to test out or play out a concept or an idea. And the idea of like building out one of these really cool, complicated, well-planned forts sounds like a fun way to play it actually like that's different than i do and i yeah kind of think that might be fun I might, I, might, I might go do that maybe that'll be my next i would goal. say yeah, that, that it's cool. like
2: the uh is it left brain that's the more logical side supposedly according to old school teaching uh
1: <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna hold you to anything <laughs> right anyway i'm pretty sure <laughs>
2: left brain is supposed to be the more logical one it's uh it's kind of like you know you see like krug smashes ford's Uh, And you see these like interesting artistic concepts and he wants things to look to give a certain impression visually. And uh, and he will put a lot of time into what amounts to ultimately totally useless uh, or not useless. It's just totally inconsequential. Yeah, exactly. So he's putting all his time in in that case is aesthetics. It's inconsequential either way. Well, I'm doing the same thing, but I really like. The numbers. I really like to know that my dwarves are making their their metal crafts as fast as possible, from the moment they chop down the tree to the moment they have the metal crafts made. I want to know that it was all done in a logical and uh, optimal way, and that's my aesthetics, so to speak. That's what I will spend a lot of time inconsequentially work toiling away at. You know, at making my fortress do it that way.
4: This segment is brought to you by Lucas, creator of Delefnazush Rerith Samum, a diorite figurine of the dwarf Asmal Orb Clenched surrounded by dwarves and diorite. Allcraft's Dwarfship is of the highest quality. The artwork relates to the ascension of Asmal Orb Clenched to the position of Queen of the Pick of Ramparts in the year one. It is decorated with giant hamster bone and canaf, and menaces with spikes of giant flying squirrel leather. On the item is an image of traction benches in diorite, and an image of mantis men in kakapo leather.
0: Last time you were on, you didn't mention that if you had uh, some some gems that were embedded in, in bedroom walls, that you would probably take the gems out and replace them with uh, with with uh, with regular walls because you didn't want to see yeah. the variations in colors there. So that's an aesthetic choice. Exactly. Um, so what wins out for um, you?
2: Honestly, it's I just like everything to be neat and tidy. That's kind of my thing. So I say that aesthetics, aesthetics are second. But if it's a matter of eliminating chaos, then it's then it becomes important again. I don't really care what shape my fortress takes aesthetically, but I do care if there's aesthetic chaos in it. I do not like yeah. that one room looks, one bedroom looks way different from another bedroom. I want all my bedrooms to be the same. Yeah. Oh, and a clean
0: um, workspace is a safe workplace. Yep. True.
2: <laughs> a quick, a true quick
0: viewer
3: question though. Um, okay. I'm, I'm trying to read it out, but I'm probably going to butcher words. Um, okay. Go so how do we feel about, pathing, and multi-threading. If we could give up consistently deterministic pathing in favor of multiple concurrent pathing threads, would you think that it is worth the trade-off?
2: Absolutely. If I understand the question.
1: <laughs> I think he's been drinking. So uh, I think the question is, <laughs> no.
2: uh, is uh, introducing variability into pathing so dwarves don't always take the same path. And the trade-off mm-hmm. is that your computer can use more of its resources to uh, determine those paths. I believe is the the question. Yeah, I yeah. think, that's what, so it's I think like,
1: that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's what yeah. I read it Or heard it
0: is it moot because the actual game determinant game t- <clears throat> the game processing apart from graphics, I think, is single-threaded with Dwarf Fortress, and uh, from the way Tarn has talked he has no interest in changing that because it's just something that he doesn't want to delve into. It would mean that he would have to rewrite all the code from yes. the ground
1: yeah. up. And yes. he was so clear about the yeah. multi-threading and, and I think multi-threading is tricky because the way that I understood the game worked is that basically every processor cycle, it's recalculating everything in a specific order. So I think he was saying that it was difficult to, to basically multi-thread, in that kind of a scenario because you want everything to be calculated in a certain very specific I'm no order. software
2: engineer. So by all means, you know, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong here, anybody, but, uh, I imagine there are some things that can be compartmentalized. For example, the, uh, wounds and the health uh, details of your creatures don't necessarily need to be exactly in time with the rest of the calculations of the game if a sword strike hits a dwarf who technically should have lost his foot last frame but didn't because that thread is lagging behind or hasn't you know hasn't synced with the rest of the program uh, well who cares you know like so one strike Mm -hmm. in the game landed on a foot that shouldn't have existed but you know it's it's not going to break the game uh, it's going to add a little bit more chaos to the the results of things, but I mean the result is you get multi-threading. The result is an is an enormous performance boost. I'm not saying Tarn should do this or that he will ever do this. It would be extremely complicated to implement, still, but uh, it's not impossible to multi-thread the game. I, I don't think it's just not you know it's not uh, reasonable. So,
0: and I'm also not sure that he actually do, does have it totally optimized for the pathing anyway uh if there's a choice between having the optimum path at you know say a thousand clock cycles and having a good path that is not optimized at 500 isis uh, of course i've never seen the code but i suspect that he's probably doing an uh, a good path rather than the optimum one that seems like it would be a, a good trade-off to make anyway thanks for the question bradley by the way that's a great one yeah it is um
1: there's a lot of threads on reddit about this as well um which which i think are really interesting but i think i think world gen would be a pretty cool use case for um multi-threading because i feel like you could do a lot of interesting stuff there i have a feeling though that tarn is more of a like i want to put the coolest features into this game and i don't want to get hung up on these Programmy kind of annoyances because it does feel like they're kind of programmy annoyances. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be cool if he had somebody that he trusted enough to 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 kind of help him with multi-thread and optimization. But I can also imagine that why change a great thing? Like he's doing pretty cool stuff by himself. Especially
2: and- when we're going to have quantum computers by the time the Steam release comes out, you might as well just <laughs> you know just stick with what you got
1: true yeah i know i was thinking about that the other day and like how what what uh dwarf fortress could do with with quantum computing and and there there i don't know that it would work but i think it could in a lot of ways because quantum computers are really good at like monte carlo simulations and um i think that that's a problem that dwarf fortress Mm -hmm. has
0: yep uh forgive me what's a monte carlo simulation oh don't (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think apparently it is some a very computer sciencey thing. Uh, yeah, it
1: it's it like boring. the traveling salesman problem. It, it's it's so boring. What? I'm practically putting myself to sleep just thinking about telling you about it. So
0: it's- <laughs> okay. So the traveling salesman problem, Roland, is a is a a pathing problem. Trying to find optimum paths among cities. That is that that uh, that a traveling salesman has to go to twelve cities and he wants to find the optimum. Uh, path to go to all 12 cities so and it's yeah, a very it's hard exactly. computer a computer intensive problem exactly mm-hmm.
1: it's like dealing with probabilistic I think it's outcomes hard, and uncertain outcomes and you know kind of generating lots of results and sampling to get it you know etc cetera, et cetera, So, etc so
2: uh i actually i've i've got an interesting thing to expand on this maybe uh first of okay. all i'd like to say hopefully i do get this vertical fortress design video out because Uh, pathing being a problem is something that vertical fortress design eliminates. Well, it doesn't eliminate, it mitigates. Anyway, also, so when you go into the designations menu and you go into your routes, set traffic areas, and you say high traffic, normal traffic, low traffic, or restricted. So far, I only use restricted to keep people off of frozen rivers, basically. Uh, Well, if you set high traffic areas what does that eliminate a lot of this computational load for pathing or uh does it just like choose after the fact after it still does all the work do we know i, I think it actually favors a
3: high path with a like a so if you put a i a, a massive highway into your ford and designate it with like a high priority then um, the the dwarves will actually go around a slightly longer corner instead of the room in the middle that is maybe shorter. I, I tried that in my fortress because I accidentally put a workshop uh, in there, and they always went through the workshop instead of like the main road around it, and that annoyed me like for aesthetic reasons. And when I put in the high traffic area, they walked around it instead of through the workshop. So I suppose, yes, they do it before they start thinking about pathing. Okay.
2: That's actually...
0: So then that sounds like it would help with it would help with computational. That, you know, that may be interesting uh, to, to to try some, some Dwarven you know, science I'm actually with.
2: looking at it right now. I just opened up that menu, and this is interesting. I've only ever used it for restricted, so I've never even read this menu. But I'm hmm. realizing now that what this does is it increases the cost of movement through each square by a specific amount that you can customize. So a normal traffic cost is two. A high traffic cost is one, meaning you want this to be a high traffic area, so it only costs one movement, Um, whereas normal is two. So I think you're literally plugging values into the pathfinding algorithm. I think that's what this is letting you do. It's, It's telling you this square here costs two units you know of travel whereas this one only costs one and then the restricted costs 25 so like huh. you know you better need That's to go cool. through there
0: i don't know if that would help with your algorithmic complexity though i don't know if that would save you any uh if it still got to look up the uh the the move value of a particular tile yeah. then i don't know that it would save you any any computational time by setting the i guess path. it
2: depends on whether or not uh, the algorithm calls options based on So like if the algorithm sees two options and one has a cost of 25 and the other has a cost of two, does it call all of the possibilities beyond that 25 and just stop thinking about it? Or does it run through the whole path and then just add that 25 in? I don't know. I don't know how pathing works. I'm talking way out of my league here. Uh, I'm going to have to
0: put a warning on this. Uh, you know, any, any episode that mentions the word algorithm more than three times has to uh, has to have a warning label on it saying that this is a tech episode.
2: Right. <laughs> uh, yep.
4: Attention citizens and long-term residents of Suzukism, Brandon Wright, proprietor of the newly completed Cake of Craft Tavern, invites you to view the master artwork of great engraver Ed M. in the tiles of the intimate dance floor. Come enjoy our sewer brew... Imported from the human civilization of Rithidbeel, the adventurous kingdoms. Share and enjoy. How
1: about, um, I've got a question. Can I, can we divert to a, to, to a pickup topic or a side topic? How do you guys feel about less that? Technical? Oh, sure. Moving
0: on to a new topic. It's less technical
1: right. for sure. And it's certainly one to stir opinion. Oh. Um, <laughs> when you're building a fort and you realize that you are in a, an area with no or little iron, how do you guys go about building your um, armor and
2: weaponry? Wrestlers, I just sacrifice wrestlers.
1: <laughs> so that's cool. So you basically are just you're you're on the migrants train. Yeah. Well, yeah. I
2: mean, I get plenty Feed of them. the war yeah. machine,
1: please. Yeah. Uh,
2: I actually, wrestlers. I just do whatever I can. I, I make it out of yeah. copper or whatever. And if my dwarves die in combat. My population goes down, and I probably got some goblinite, so you know win-win.
1: Yeah, so harvest the goblinite smart. Yep, that, yeah yeah that's, that, that's been my number one is just going to copper and then silver warhammers mm. and um, absolutely. I haven't really experimented much with bronze like a little bit because I seem to have a bunch of it in, in one of the forts I'm playing, so I've got bronze armor, but I don't know if that's better or worse than copper. I'm sure the wiki would it's, tell me it's, it's
0: better. Bronze is it's, better. Yeah, it's a tiny bit better. Your top three... Sorry, I would say top four then. The the best is adamantine. The second best is steel. Third best best is bismuth bronze. And then the fourth best is bronze. Um, Interestingly, silver is below copper. Silver apparently just... It's like the most sucky thing you can build things well, out of. that's... Warhammers yeah, are that's good, though. Yeah, subject to context,
2: because in Warhammers and Maces, silver is great, and that's the first thing I make in most of my fortresses, because I usually have silver. Yes.
3: <laughs> Exclusively, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Didn't know that. Didn't know and that. So I, I was looking at armor whenever, whenever I was reading about it. What's that? Uh, and you
1: can, like, make them. Like, the more of them you have, I think the more they'll use them. At least that's the way that I had understood it.
2: I actually, like interesting. If you make so 10 there's... silver
1: Warhammers, they'll go pick them up and
2: start using them. Hmm,
0: it's interesting. Good. Sounds like there's a complete episode in, in uh, utilization of metals. <laughs> so. Man, yeah, I
2: have a complete video, I guess, in uh, <laughs> making uniforms <laughs> for your dwarves. Because you can, in fact, oh, yeah. tell your militia squad to use silver Warhammers exclusively. Yes,
3: yes. Um, you you should actually if i can like backseat a bit you should actually try to get technical on that and uh, maybe tell the listener how to take those values and actually put it into the goddamn game so that you don't have to do it in every single fortress again and again because i would love to see that
2: yeah it's a It's very useful. So military is is more it's not something I'll put in my advanced basics because I feel like just making squads is already more than basics in this game. But um, you my so I have a squad here that's called the hack and slashers and they're all axe lords because I forced them all to use silver or not silver steel axes. And so when they go and they spar and they do their thing, they're always using axes. So they're just 10 axe lords. And it only took a year to make them into 10 axe lords because there's no fumbling around with like, oh, well, this guy's using a mace. What's up with that or whatever? You know, they're just they're in there. They're doing their thing with their axes. They've got the armor on that I want them to have on. And I send them out to combat and they're like, we know how to do this. This is what we all do. We we slash and hack.
0: And it's another thing that you want to... You can tell your archers to have nothing on their body except for a crossbow. Yeah. For, Maybe uh, a quiver, too. So if you... Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I meant as in the <laughs> weapon underwear, part.
2: <laughs> Preferably, at least underwear.
0: I don't know. New dwarven crossbowmen. That might be interesting. Maybe terrifying.
3: <laughs> but yeah, um, so that's that's a whole thing in itself because I started doing that. So my my squads, as of right now, for example... I have a dedicated archer squad for fun, not for utility. <laughs> but then I just go with it. spear dwarves because I really like spears, hammers, axes, and now very new the, sw- the the swords, and they're just dedicated squads, so ten each. And even if you don't fill up the squads, they learn so much faster. Then when you have like a squad of like mixed dwarves that I don't see the point anymore in like doing a mixed squad.
2: Yeah, I don't either. I've got two squads. My second mm-hmm. one is the weapon bashers, and they, uh, they're all hammer lords with their silver war hammers. They look cool. Uh,
0: I've got a mixed squad that ended up the mace lords, hammer lords, axe lords, uh, because, you know, all they ever did was sit there and, and train. You know, they haven't really run up against a really tough uh, invasion opponent yet. There's been like three goblin sieges and the last two haven't lost a single dwarf and the uh, the fighting was over very quickly. So um, so it's it's been nice. But uh, I, I do understand if you're trying to optimize it and if you're trying to get trolls or something like that, probably be better to have a it unified. It also
2: feels good. It goes back into the vein of like wanting things to be tidy. I like having a. Uh... Uh, Axe squad. I like knowing that these dwarves are my Axe dwarves and that I will send them to where I want my Axe dwarves to be and if there's armored opponents, maybe I'll use the Spear dwarves because I'm pretty sure that's better against armor. Uh, It's just It feels good, you know, but you don't really need to do it, I suppose. It only takes a little bit longer to train your squad up if it's mixed but, you know.
1: yeah. And I think Krugsmash approached one of his forts that way where he had like squads and one was like the Rock Bashers or, you know, and it and it just it all looked really neat and tidy and uniform and just put together in a way that I felt like made the simulation of the game feel deeper and more interesting. Because you had these squads and you could sort of then imagine that they were the rock bashers. And of course they are rough and tumble and they yeah. like get drunk in the tavern. You know, it just like I felt like it really added a richness. Otherwise it's just like you're kind of pulling levers in some sort of weird simulation. So I I <laughs> I second your idea and also find it aspirational because I'm not very
2: good at it. Something else that I might do a video on is just dwarf management. Basically processing migrants because in the same vein, being able to take in migrants and compartmentalize them and make these migrants into like uh, potential recruits and these migrants into cheap hauling labor because, you know, they can't handle stress or something. Just being able to put dwarves, large numbers of dwarves into groups that have a single descriptor or a single purpose makes the game not, it makes it easier to get deeper into the simulation because it doesn't seem like such a mob of random dwarves.
0: You said in yeah. pro, uh, processing migrants. I thought like of a little dwarven in Ellis Island.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it is though. They come in, I go into dwarf therapist yeah. and I go down the list. I'm like, none of you have any jobs right now. All of them are gone. So now, Who's better than my current worker at something? Okay, you get promoted. Now that guy doesn't have a job. <laughs> now I go through all my jobless dwarves and I'm like, which one of you have any military skills? All right, your potential recruits or you're getting recruited right now. Everyone else, I might read like their personality to see if I could recruit them based on their ability to handle conflict. But maybe I'll just make them into peasants or something.
0: So it sounds like <laughs> that you are also a dwarf therapist fan. Oh yeah, I really enjoy it. I don't know that Roland and Tony share my share my love of the of the app of the utility. Hey, tweet their own. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. It's okay. I just don't
2: know how else how else to process dwarves like that. You know, like how else do you get through them and put them in the right place? The game doesn't make that easy, especially when you get nineteen migrants in one wave. You're like, I don't want to deal with this.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know. I know everyone's going to hate it, but I use auto labor and then I don't ever have to think about it.
0: <gasps> I, know. I know. It's what you want to spend your time on, right? So it, if you, if you can use auto labor and then spend your brain energy on, on making your, uh, your, your squads, you know, really kick ass and, and have them have all kinds of shiny steel armor and, and silver warhammers, then yeah, it's, yeah, it's whatever you want to spend your, your time in the game with.
1: Yeah, I ended up um, for a while, like when I first started playing it, I'm playing on a 4K monitor and therapist, when I brought it up, I needed a magnifying glass to to read (laughs) and I was like, well, this sucks. I'm not going to do this. Um, And so I just kind of didn't get into the habit of it. And then once I did start playing around with it, I was like, holy crap, this is really detailed. And then I was like, or I could just use auto labor and I don't have to think about any of this stuff.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: And so so you can see in my lazy ass world what went out. (laughs)
0: Well, it sounds like Tarn agrees with you because uh, they're talking about implementing Auto Labor in the in the upcoming you know major release. So yeah,
1: I mean as long as they keep the ability for people to use therapists, because I think that there's a lot of value in that. Where you would be able to have dwarves that would truly specialize, as where Auto Labor will do it best to try to find the right person. But if you don't, you'll end up with a whack worker that becomes you know a legendary engraver just because of oops, you know just because you he was available and you had him smooth out an entire, you know, 200 tile floor, you know, now now it's like you've accidentally got legendary, you know, so it's like, basically, everybody's a jack of all trades and a master of none. But um, yeah, and
2: also like, I want two farmers, like, I don't know what auto labor wants, but I want two legendary farmers in my fortress. I don't want three. I don't want six or just one. I want two.
1: You're right. Yeah, and you'll lose that, and and like I can't have, and you you lose a lot in the simulation too because I don't know that, you know, Udib Katembarbek, he's you know he's a legendary beekeeper, but now I have him, yeah, but he's
2: also a jerk, you know, shoveling manure. You, know, and you don't like him, yeah, so. <laughs>
1: totally, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, you you totally lose that control, and I think if if I were you know better at the game, perhaps then I would want that um, level of control, or I just wanted to play it differently. Yeah, I think it's awesome, and I, and I hope nothing changes in that aspect.
2: Well, and it's absolutely about what you want to spend your time on, uh, like Jonathan yeah, said. because what you
1: like. That's why it's a fun game. If you play game. the game like I
2: do, <laughs> if you let like go, if when, when I've made enough videos, if you go in my videos and you try to emulate my exact play style, you will never go to the circus, and you'll never raid other civilizations. These are things I don't do, because I will spend dozens of hours just making my fortress neat. Just making it tidy, making it work well, making it work how I want, making my little squads. I'll get like two raids and I'll already have like multiple squads with specialized uniforms. And I haven't even killed, you know, 30 goblins yet. So, you know, it's all about what you want to do. You could do the level of detail in certain things, but you might never touch other things that you might want to do.
3: Yeah, true. Yeah, I feel that. I've been getting more and more into the whole military thing because before that, I was just a farmer. I sat my my ass down on Dwarf Fortress and I made like so much food that I could probably supply the entirety of every single civilization upon my continent. And um, because I really liked reading the descriptions, that's it. And now I've, getting, I've been getting more and more into the whole like smithing and, and uh, forging weapons and like not even raiding, you know, just having a good military. That's it. I'm not even talking about raiding. I'm just, you know, talking about how do I get my dwarves to train effectively? How do I get my dwarves to train good, fast and so on? And that already in itself is such a dense topic that I've been I've been walking back to the wiki, which I haven't done for maybe two years, like seriously. Um and I sat down and I read about it and I was, I was like, hmm, how do I can make the how how can I get like this is like this this 0.0% one better stuff for my squad. And I, it's a lot.
1: Yeah, I've spent a lot of time raiding and and building up military squads and sending them out and conquering villages and stuff. I've enjoyed that a lot, kind of watching the hilarity that ensues with that.
4: Attention members and guests, Manager Christopher Harris would like to announce that the Sepia Glen has been bestowed the degree of Grand Guild Hall of Farmers Guild, the Flaxen Hall. Located in Suzukism, the finest masterworks are displayed in honor of the farming profession. Come learn and enjoy Fellowship.
2: I'm actually, um, I'm looking into, I looked into advanced world generation. Sorry, I'm just going to segue us way over uh, to a totally different field. Uh, (laughs) I looked into uh, advanced world generation uh, because we were talking about raiding before. And I tried making some old worlds and getting like the historical figures and the site caps and the, all that stuff, population caps to optimize so I could make a 2021 world, uh, but a, not, a, not a pocket world, like a at least medium-sized world. And uh, what do you mean by 2021? Like 2021 years of history. Oh, okay. Uh, so bring it up to date, basically. Oh, gotcha and uh, do you
1: like necromancers right.
2: well here's what i found this is so interesting <laughs> with old worlds is at least right now what happened in my world was some necromancer who had a bad go of it he uh you know he tried making he tried manipulating some goblin people uh leaders at a tower and it never worked out and then he got uh banished after learning uh, being a necromancer apprentice and went to a town and they suspected him of uh being a necromancer because he never aged and then uh he got kicked out, and he was wandering the wilderness. And then he started this band, or he took over some band uh, called the Azura Sorcerers. And it wasn't even part of a sieve. This isn't listed on the sieve like list. I went to the Legends Viewer even to try to get more information, and uh, he took over everything. Now, out of like a hundred and something sites in the world. Or no, a thousand something sites in the world. He had over nine hundred of them under his control. For oh a civilization Damn. that's not even listed on the civ screen, they owned everything, and it was all because of this one guy who started the. The he was still alive, running around. I think the last place he was seen was the Elven place. So, if you really <laughs> want something, if you don't want to do all this fortressy, uh, like optimize your vertical fortress layout or whatever, and you just want to go find cool. Characters and stuff. Running an old world, I discovered, is a great way to make super villains that you can spend your time <laughs> hunting down, and like preparing an army just to go kill this one guy. That's awesome. Nella Mother Waves, that was his name. I remember he was a wild boar <laughs> man necromancer, and he owned the world. Good Lord. There weren't even goblins left. There was only like two thousand goblins left. They were all undead. Everyone was undead.
1: Yeah, that's the problem I found with that one. And man, it's relentless. Like if you like basically when I was playing those old worlds, like the very first thing you do is cut down trees and build a wall. And if you didn't do that, you were dead, dead in like second. It was insane. Sometimes I couldn't even get my last wall segment built before I had an invasion. I'm like, oh, yeah, my and God. And be prepared cat. to
2: go without migrants. My civilization had yeah. uh, 12, uh, a population of 12 and they were all animals. The only thing that was left of the last what? dwarven civilization was their horses. <laughs> so I was like, "All right, I guess it's just me." So I was like, "I'm going to have to burrow down, bunker down, to be impenetrable, and then just breed dwarves to recreate civilization."
1: <laughs> yep, yep. There's, yeah, you're the last, so you you know you do get to have the king. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. fun, but um, <laughs> but it's just you. So yeah
0: wild. Okay guys I think that we need to uh, to wrap this one up, this okay. episode of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. If anyone wants to send us an email again uh, send it to urist at dfroundtable.com That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com Nathan, thank you so much. I don't even know if we actually explicitly stated your YouTube channel is uh, Paranoid yes, Metroid. Paranoid Metroid. Two yeah, words. I put
3: it in the chat before.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, great, great so uh, but cool. for for all of those uh, for all of those people who are not on our live stream, which you can find every other Sunday, typically, there's gonna be some interruption coming up here. Uh, so it may not be as regular as it has been or will be, but you can find uh, the link to uh, the live stream at dfroundtable dot com or on our YouTube channel. So uh, thanks again, Nathan. Yeah,
2: thank you for, for, for
0: coming in and yeah uh, cool. it's, it's it's always a blast so. Okay, until next time, this has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, and have a happy fortress, everybody.
2: See ya. See ya.
0: This has been the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable podcast. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Stop by and leave a message or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, or find us in the podcast service of your choice. You can find video content on our YouTube channel, and you can send us an email at urist at dfroundtable.com. That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com. Please consider donating to the creators of the Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can find us at patreon.com slash dfroundtable. This is a conversational podcast. All craft swordship is of the highest quality.